No. I'm not worried at all. I rely on God, Allah. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. So, is this still an issue? The, are we going to say Merry Christmas or not? Like, is this still an issue in the Muslim community? Like, do you respond to Merry Christmas? Is that still being discussed? Is it? I don't know. I see stuff online, but sometimes online can be a distortion of reality. But every year it seems like, should you respond to Merry Christmas? Uh, should you go to the Christmas party? Should you uh, have a Christmas tree? You know, things like that. All right. Now, I would say there's two groups of people when it comes to this issue. With the whole Merry Christmas, wishing people Merry Christmas issue, or even taking part in celebrations. You have a group that actually advocates for that. What's wrong with saying Merry Christmas? Aren't we supposed to be merciful and tolerant? Aren't we supposed to be nice and compassionate? Aren't we supposed to show people that we're flexible, that we're not rigid? Uh, we need to show people we're accepting. God is love. And we should love other people and we shouldn't offend other people. So you have one group that uses a lot of these types of arguments and a lot of that type of narrative to promote that. There is another group that says we shouldn't wish people Merry Christmas or take part in their celebrations because this is a command from the Quran and the Sunnah. And many people who are in this group, they actually feel uncomfortable not responding to somebody who says Merry Christmas to them. So it doesn't mean that they're necessarily comfortable with that because it's kind of awkward. Somebody says a nice greeting to you and they might expect a response or they invite you to a Christmas party and you tell them, no, I can't come to your Christmas party. So some of them, they don't feel good about doing that, but they, because they have many Muslim, maybe they have Muslim coworkers, Muslim friends and acquaintances. So they feel weird not responding or being taking part in that celebration, but they still don't do it because they believe firmly that it's not part of the Quran and the Sunnah. What's the difference between these two groups of people? What would you say is the fundamental difference? Anyone want to guess? What do you think is the fundamental difference between these two groups of people? Yes, brother. Knowledge, but I think it goes maybe a little bit more than knowledge. What do you think is the fundamental difference between these two groups of people? Faith. Because one might use even religious arguments, right? One might say, oh, I have a lot of faith because I'm trying to be so merciful and tolerant with people, right? One of them could say, I'm going to say Merry Christmas because I want them to feel good about Muslims because they're going to use it maybe as a da'wah reason. Pardon? Princess. Mashallah. Mashallah. So you, get, you got to the heart of the matter. The heart of the matter is there's a difference in core principles. There's a difference between core principles. Okay? Now, your core principles, so the thing that you hold the most deepest part of you is the lens that you view the world. This is how you process everything in the world. Now, firstly, Ibn Qayyim, he says very clearly that this is the consensus of the scholars. Uh, and he brings forth a lot of evidence that taking part of celebrations and even congratulating people on their celebrations is something that is forbidden. Very clear. It's not, it's not a, a really a controversial issue if you look at it from a scholarly perspective. Okay? Secondly, when we look at it from 
being merciful to people, is there anyone who can claim that they're more merciful than the Prophet Is there anyone that can make that claim? That they are more merciful than Prophet Muhammad Can anyone make that claim? No, nobody can make that claim. Yet, Rasul showed us that there are limits in how we interact with non-Muslims. So for example, there was an incident that occurred where a Jewish man sneezed in the presence of Rasul hoping that he would say, Yarhamakullah. But this is something we know that we say, for example, if a Muslim sneezes, correct? We would say, Yarhamakullah. But what did the Prophet say instead to this man? Right? That may Allah guide you and reform you. This is how our Rasul, even though this Jewish man was hoping for that regular response that, oh Allah, have mercy on me. Right? Making that dua that Rasul would make that dua. Now, none of us can claim to be more merciful than the Prophet, yet we make an incorrect analogy. What's happening here is that that first group is making qiyas. Do we have qiyas in our religion? Analogy in fiqh? Yes, we do. But there's an usul to it. It's based on Quran and Sunnah because anybody can make qiyas on anything. Right? Even shaitan made qiyas. Right? Ana khayrun min. Right? He said, I am better than he. Than he. Why? Khalaqtani min nar min that I'm created by fire and he's created by clay. So he made an analogy. He made a qiyas. He made an analogy based on what? His own feeling, his own ego, his own pride, what have you. So we can't make it based on a, uh, an analogy or a feeling or justification. Because usually analogies justify the feelings we have. Thirdly, who's to say that people will get offended if you don't wish them Merry Christmas, if you don't celebrate uh, in their parties, if you don't take part in all their festivities, who's to say that they are going to be offended? And should we worry so much all the time about offending people? Now, if you actually speak with many non-Muslims, they don't celebrate Christmas, by the way. Many non-Muslims don't celebrate Christmas. I've met some who are atheistic and they say, oh, we don't celebrate Christmas even though it's a tradition I grew up with because it's all commercialized, it's all materialized. There are conservative Christians that I've spoken with. They don't celebrate Christmas because they say that this is not when we believe Jesus, peace be upon him, was born. They don't say peace be upon him. We actually are the ones that always say peace be upon him. So... There are many non-Muslims, first of all, who have a strong position because I've interacted with them. And they say, we don't celebrate Christmas. And what is the psychology behind us always feeling like we're going to offend people? What is the psychology behind that? Are we all the, do we have the same expectation when it comes for Eid? Seriously. Do we expect now everyone to come to us and say Eid Mubarak, or you say to somebody on, uh, on Eid al-Adha, oh, Eid Mubarak. Would you, would you expect that to go to a non-Muslim say, oh Eid Mubarak, so yeah, what are you doing for your Udhiyah this year? 
who are you slaughtering? Are you slaughtering uh, a cow, a sheep? What are, you, what are you slaughtering this year? Are you slaughtering a goat? Is it a goat? Are you slaughtering a goat this year? Let me guess, man. You're balling it out today, this year. It's going to be a camel, right? You're slaughtering a camel, aren't you? Right? Are you going to say, say this to somebody, expect them to be doing an ardhiya that year? No, you're not going to expect them to do that, right? Because especially if they're vegan, you're going to offend them, right? Like, like, excuse me, right? I'm vegan, right? I'm going to have a bug salad tonight, right? Core principles, we have to see, do my feelings guide me? Or does the Qur'an and the Sunnah guide me? That's what we have to ask at the end of the day. In Surah Al-Furqan, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Have you seen who has taken his own desire to be his God? His own desire, his own feelings. That's how that person operates. What their core principles are. Or, do you turn to the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Ati Allah wa ati Rasul. Do we obey Allah and His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? That is, even if our feelings, even if we hate something, even if we dislike something, are we able to overcome our feelings to do what is right based on what Allah and His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam have told us? This is what we have to start thinking about. Do how we behave, what we do, is it in conjunction with our core principle because usually your core principle is going to dictate your core values what you hold deep in your heart not what you uh, practice as a ritual not what you have as a costume or what you say in front of people to try to look good but really what you deep down inside feel and believe in do you believe your feelings are at the highest level how many people compromise their deen on a regular basis because of their feelings? I remember back in the days, just to show you how, how old I am. I was, does anybody know what MSN um, Messenger is? Okay, some people know what MSN Messenger, all right? So this is, um, it's kind of like, so. what, what would you say today? Like It's like texting, instant messaging, WhatsApp, right? But you have to log in, it's not on your phone, you have to log into a computer, right? And those computers you can't just carry around with you, okay? It's wherever it is, that's where it is, you know? And you chat with people. So anyways, I remember I was chatting with a brother that I went to uh, university with, and he told me how he was going to get a job with Halliburton. This is during the Iraq War, by the way. So a Muslim brother, getting a job with Halliburton, if you didn't know or if you didn't remember or you recall, but Halliburton was one of the great oil companies uh, that was benefiting from the Iraq War. Okay, this is what, you know, the Vice President Dick Cheney who helped architect the Iraq War, he actually uh, became like a multimillionaire board member on Halliburton, okay? So there are, of course, many, unfortunately, Muslims who have a distorted concept of wala and bara, like the love and hating for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and there's no allegiance and alliance to uh, the Muslim community. They don't really have a sense of Ummah consciousness. So this brother was telling me he got a job. And I was telling him, what? You're, 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 you're getting money. You're benefiting from the blood of Muslims. He's like, you don't understand. I've been having a hard time finding a job. I need to get married. You know, and marriage is from the Sunnah. 
You see, you notice everyone always has a good reason for doing something bad. Everyone has a good reason, right? It's always a noble reason for, for greed. And, and, you know, people say greed is good, right? This is a capitalistic society, right? They want to try to say, hey, greed is good. That makes the best outcome for society. Anyhow, he was saying, I got a job with Halliburton because, listen, I need to get married. This is the only way I can get married. And uh, he went on to say, listen, the more money I make, the more I will give in zakah. So you can make, give more zakah. So again, another great point, right? Another great point for this person. But subhanAllah, it goes down to that core principles. If you're deep down inside, you're doing it because, hey, this is how I'm going to get money. This is how I'm going to feel secure of myself. I don't, I don't really believe that that Allah is the best of providers. I have to just get my job any way I can. I have to get my money any way I can. That's the same principle behind somebody opening a liquor store. A Muslim opening and selling liquor, khamar. That's haram. You can justify it. I'm the one who gives the most to the masjid. You know what? Guess what? Every single dollar that you give to the masjid is meaningless. Because of that haram source. So it goes back down to those core principles. Now, what are some core principles that we get duped in this society that infect our minds? There are certain core principles in this Western, liberal, ideologically-based society that infects our minds. One is, do whatever maximizes your pleasure. Do whatever maximizes your pleasure. You know what, when you actually look at it, the reality, maximizing your pleasure is actually one of the most harmful things you can do for yourself. There's a famous uh, psychological study called the marshmallow test. Has anybody, has anybody heard of that? Yeah? So in this test, they took some kids, they put a marshmallow in the room, and they told them, if you can wait for 15 minutes, you'll get a second marshmallow. It's, a, it's one of actually the most uh, longest... Uh, uh, test long, uh, because they followed these kids afterwards to see how they would become when they grew up and what, they be what became of them, all of those different things. So this, in this marshmallow test, they saw some kids, they couldn't take it anymore and they ate the marshmallow. And there's others that were able to withstand, to be, be patient and not indulge because there's a desire. Every one of those kids wants to have that marshmallow. Guess what? The kids that were able to withhold that gratification became the most successful. They became the most successful. So where do you get this idea, this value, this core principle that we should maximize pleasure? Where do you get that? Where success is actually determined by how much you can sacrifice. And in an Islamic sense, what is imsak? During the month of Ramadan. When you withhold the greatest month for the Muslims of Ramadan, and that's sacrifice, that's withholding, that's delaying gratification from sunrise to sunset. And now today, they're trying to show you, oh, look at this uh, Instagram post, and look at this Facebook post, how good, the, the, the great benefits of delaying gratification. This is already a core principle from within our deen. Do whatever you want, as long as you don't harm anyone. Do whatever you want, as long as you don't harm anyone. Has, everyone, has anyone heard about this as well? As a principle in this society? Yes? Yes? 
Do whatever you want as long as you're no, are not har harming anyone. What's wrong with it? Okay? First of all, how do you know it doesn't harm you? How do you know that doesn't harm you? For example, unfortunately, my dear brothers and sisters, and we have to talk about this because this is a fitna that everybody is dealing with, youth especially, and that's pornography. Do you know the damage, the brain material damage that happens when you just view pornography? Parts of your brain actually shrink and are damaged. This is actually what makes people immature. This is what's actually delaying people's maturity and their development, their mental development. Maybe this is why back in the days you had, you know, at, at, at uh, 17, 18 years old, a kid taking over an army. And today at 17, 18 years old, a kid can't even manage his own room. Maybe this is one of the reasons. But how do you know? It doesn't, to them, it's not harming anyone. It's a multi-billion dollar industry. It's one of the most visited and frequented uh, sites and traffic that's used on the internet. It's a massive, massive fitna. And yet, it's causing irreparable damage in some cases. Okay? And it affects actually your ability. What's very important to understand, it affects your ability to have healthy relationships. It's going to affect you before you get married. You know, I actually, one of uh, my students, he actually works in the Dubai police force. And he tells me about the young generation because of their addiction to pornography, the domestic violence and issues that are being faced within their community. We don't understand the effects. We don't appreciate the effects. Free choice is the highest human value. Free choice is the highest human value. Now, the ability to make any choice that you want, is that necessarily a good thing? First of all, what if your decision is influenced or it's harmful? It's under the influence, so it becomes harmful. So for example, somebody under the influence of alcohol, if they drive, is that a crime in this society or not? Can it cause harm? Yes. If you're under the influence and you go to a party and you do zina-related activities, is that harmful or not? Yes. What about if under the influence, would you be able to do surgery? If you're a medical doctor, are you allowed or a professional or a pilot? Would you be allowed to do, carry out any of your duties? What if you were a pilot or a surgeon and you didn't harm anyone? What if you uh, were driving under the influence but you didn't harm anyone? Is that still illegal in this society? Yes, even if you didn't harm anyone. What happened to free choice being the highest decision? If it doesn't harm anyone, what's the problem? What happened to those principles? You know why? Because it's based on then. It's based on conjecture. That's why you're going to see it. There's contradictions. And that's why in the Quran, what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, if you found it other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you would have found many contradictions. You would have found many contradictions within itself. Let's go on. What if your 
decision is based on incorrect knowledge and experience? What if you make a decision? Free choice is the highest human value. What if you make your decision, your choice, based on incorrect knowledge and incorrect experience? You know, there are Muslims in our community that say they don't want to have children. Why? It's going to harm my career. And then they become older, and they become depressed and unfulfilled, and all those people that didn't have the right experience, didn't have the correct knowledge about life, didn't establish any type of civilization, didn't improve society whatsoever, they're gone. They're not there when you're by yourself, depressed. I see it every day. I see it every day. Can you imagine one of the most harmful things you could do in pre-modern times? was to cut off somebody's bloodline. Do you know that? If the king wanted to punish you, that's it. Your bloodline is cut off. You're not going to have any pro more progeny. This is what drove existence. Human civilization, we want to have children, strong children, raise them, make them as healthy and possible, give them the best future. This generation, which is the most richest in human history, in modern times, we are more spoiled than ancient kings. We have more amenities than ancient kings. And today, we say we're not going to have children. You make a decision which will have lasting effect on your bloodline, on your progeny, on your future. You'll have no one to make dua for you when you die. You have no one to take care of you when you're old and decrepit and nobody cares about you. You don't care about any of those things. It's gone. It's too late. It's too late. So you make a decision on what? Incorrect knowledge and inexperience. What if you make a decision based on lies and falsehood? What if somebody tells you, take this drug? You know, in the 1950s and 1960s, they were telling pregnant women who were getting morning sickness to take thalidomide. Now, this drug was causing deformities in babies. But they said, take it for your morning sickness. You made a decision, but it's based on a falsehood, on something that's harmful. Or... In, in uh, contemporary times, when doctors were the biggest drug dealers, and they were promoting fentanyl. And so many people became addicted on this, and it's harming, the, created havoc, a huge epidemic. You know, the greatest, the, the biggest fines in, in history, in pharmacological history, was against Pfizer and these drug companies that were producing fentanyl. But we trust them, of course, because, you know, they have studies that they fund, right? What happens? What happens? These core principles leads you dependent. You try to fulfill your nafs through the hawa within your nafs. Does that make any sense to you? I'm going to fill my hunger with my stomach, with what's in my stomach. What if your stomach has nothing? You need something from outside to fulfill your stomach if you're hungry. You want to fulfill your nafs, you have to go outside your nafs. You have to go to the creator of your nafs. You want to fulfill your soul, your inner self, your heart. You have to go outside, outside of that. Do you know, by the way, on our side, do you know your heart has independent neural network? Did you know that? Do you know your heart has independent neural network that sends information to the brain that it's processing? This is the only organ in the body that has that. Your heart. So when we talk about, when Islam talks about tasqiyat al-nafs, 
about cleaning your heart and all of these things related to the heart, it's important that we pay attention to that because it affects how you think, actually. So we try to fulfill our nafs with the hawa, the desires within our nafs. We always feel empty. And what is the biggest mechanism in modern times that causes us to follow this prescription? What is it? Social media. Social media is designed to react to how people, what people desire and how people feel, right? The whole platform is designed for that. And we have to see how damaging and destruct destructive that it can be. Think about the damage, how harmful it's becoming when people are blinded by this type of core principles. It becomes to the effect where it can take your life. Have you seen what's been being exposed recently about the assisted suicide program? Are you aware of this? They're giving books to children to prime them for assisted suicide. A person who's dealing with poverty, they say, have you thought about an assisted suicide? It's your decision. It's your choice. Isn't that the highest human value? Make the decision to kill yourself. This is how poisonous, I'm serious, we're laughing because we have at least, we know our body doesn't belong to us. We know our body is an amana. You know, mashallah, sisters covering themselves not because of an external value, but because of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We have to understand this, how destructive and how pervasive it is. Because if you think about this, the maqasid of the sharia, what does it say? Preserve what? Your deen. And then after that, your life, your life, your dignity, your health, all of these things, your bloodline, your progeny, these are all maqasid of the sharia. And these are all things, when you have this distorted core values, you lose it all. You lose your life, and you lose the future life of any children you could have had. I want, we need to think about this. We need to think about how how pervasive it is, my dear brothers and sisters, because it's very easy when you're told things in the school, when you see things on TV, on social media, all of these different things about you need to focus on what makes you feel good. What if you had something that gives you a sense of euphoria and gives you confidence and gives you a great sense of capability, but that thing is called cocaine? You gonna do it? You gonna do it? Man, I feel I can do anything on cocaine, <laughs> right? Are you going to do it? Are you going to do cocaine? No, because you know, if you have brains, you know, unless it's damaged by cocaine, that it's harmful for you. It's destructive for you. You're not going to do cocaine. All right? I remember one of my patients, by the way, uh, he was advising me once. One of my patients actually came up to me. I was reviewing his medical history, and it said on their former co cocaine user. And so I said, you don't do cocaine anymore, right? Because you can't, you need to know this before you do any type of procedures because it can be life-threatening. And uh, he said, no, 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 I don't do cocaine. I don't do cocaine. And if I have one advice to you, doctor, if I have one advice to you, it's like, don't do cocaine. I'm like, I got it. All right. <laughs> I got it. All right. We're on the same page. Okay. So you feel depressed, disconnected from your creator, and the decisions you make are without any guidance are more likely going to harm you. And we see the effects of that in our society. Because how we behave 
is reflective of what our core principles are. So, do I truly believe that the deen is the important, most important thing in my life? That the akhirah is more important than the dunya? And good deeds are better than good money? If most of my behavior, my time, my planning and effort is geared towards making a permanent home in this dunya only. If most of your time is about just making a per permanent home in this dunya, then you have different core principles. And this is one of the reasons why we have a family and marriage crisis in our community. We are living in a zina culture. It's, bec it's becoming so bad, we're actually living in a Dajjalun cartoon. Okay, I got rhymes for days to keep in your mind. Okay, we're living in a Dajjalun cartoon. This is how crazy, some of the stuff that's coming out. It's like you're living in a cartoon. Is this reality? Okay, and I, I probably don't have to go into details. You know what I'm talking about. Where material goals are prioritized, zina and fascia are openly discussed, promoted, practiced, and alongside of this, along in this culture, our community, what do we do? We're emphasizing education. Okay, that's great. But we emphasize it because you know why? Because you're going to become materially stable. We emphasize houses and things and cars. We emphasize all of this different stuff. Career. We don't understand the threat that social media that television, movies, and this anti-Hayat culture has on our children, on our families, and our future bloodline. One of the greatest aspects of our Iman is Hayat. Al-Hayat min al-Iman. It is from Iman. It's a part of Iman. Modesty. And I want you to think about the culture that we live in today. Have you done a threat assessment on your family? Have you done a threat assessment of the zina culture on your family? Because it's killing them. You don't know it, but it is. That's one of the biggest things that's killing our families today. You know, there's a great book that I've been uh, reading this past week. It's called uh, Guns, Germs, and Steel. So it talks about how different civilizations have developed and even how agriculture has developed and how different human species have developed. So it talks about the reason why certain animals weren't domesticated. It's very interesting actually, this part of the book talks about why certain animals weren't domesticated. So they talk about, for example, you know, dogs have been domesticated. Okay, so then people have been able to breed dogs in captivity. But it talks about how cheetahs, for example, have not been domesticated. So cheetahs, fastest land animal, what they did, like ancient Assyrians, ancient Egyptians, and um, like the Mughal, one of the Mughal emperors, was able to capture cheetahs and then train them. So that's different. But they were never able to domesticate them. So it means keep them in captivity and have them, you know, breed and, and, and raise, uh, like, you know, from baby cheetahs and then keep that process going. Do you know why? It's very interesting, really interesting. Do you know why? Do anyone want to guess why? It's really interesting. It's a non-Muslim author that describes this, by the way. So I found it very interesting, the phrasing, the language that's used. He said, just like human beings, like naturally, of course, we're seeing a distortion, a gross distortion nowadays. 
naturally, we don't like to meet in public, like in front of the eyes of other people. He says, cheetahs don't like to do that either. So they never mate in captivity because they don't want people to watch. They, they, they have a haya. That has kept them from being uh, domesticated, from imprisoned. Can you imagine that? And because of our lack of haya, we have been imprisoned by our desires. Because of our lack of haya today, we have been imprisoned by our desires. Now, one of the characteristics we know of Islam is haya, is modesty. Every religion, our Rasulullah said, every religion has a characteristic, like a defining quality. And the characteristic of Islam is haya, is modesty. So if this is a characteristic of Islam, is this reflected from our core principles? Do we understand, do we know what our children are watching? The cartoons that they're watching, what they're being taught in school? Are we preserving our family's modesty? Are we taking care of our families? How are we, I want to talk a little bit more about solutions now. I only have a few minutes left. So I had some other things, but I'm trying to stay focused, finish on time, inshallah. How are we going to save our families? Firstly, of course, we know our core principles. We have to operate on those core principles. But we have to lead by example. I remember uh, in uh, one of the masajid in BC, I was giving a lecture, and then afterwards, the uh, father comes up with his son. It's like, I want you to tell my son that he needs to do this, 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 this. Okay? So I started, I started with the father. I said, the first thing that we have to do is we have to set the good example. As soon as I started talking to the father, like, you have to set the example, he started freaking out. Hey, wait a minute. This is not supposed to be advice, nasiyah for me. <laughs> give, give to my son. <laughs> you know what I mean? But if you don't have a program, a habit, a desire to continuously learn and develop and assess the threat for your family, how are you going to protect them? How are you going to protect them? Uh, Rasulullah he said that each of you is a shepherd. A shepherd of sheep has to constantly assess threat. You can't be ignorant. Oh, the school will just do it. The imam will just do it. Then you're not a shepherd. You're not taking responsibility. As a mother and father, you're not taking any type of responsibility. Are we developing healthy habits? Are we developing healthy hobbies, a good work ethic? How do we fulfill our duties? Do we teach our children from a young age how to fulfill their duties to be a good husband or wife from a young age? We don't even talk about that. Go to school, get good exams. And then you wonder why they were never taught anything, no advice, how to deal with in-laws, how to deal with their spouse, how to deal with children, and then there's so many family problems. Do you know why? We, many of us who immigrated here to this country, we benefited from tradition. The reason tradition exists is because it worked. You understand what I'm saying? When we say traditional families, the reason why you're here is because the traditional family system worked. People were able to get married and have children, and their children were able to be healthy enough to have children. So the traditional model works. And then you take this modern model, where it's about dunya, delay anything traditional, disregard that, usurp all those traditional values, and then you wonder why we are having so many problems. So you benefited from that traditional system. It created you. We don't have that anymore.
You don't have that anymore. You have to assess what your children and your families are going through right now. And it's urgent. It's, it's, the house is on fire. And we need to put in the work to raise those righteous children. I'm just going to give you a few points to illustrate this very quickly. World War II, they did a study. This was in England during the bombing campaigns that were happening there. During the Blitz, they did a study between the children who in the bunkers that were getting bombed were with their, with their parents and children who were sent away from London so they didn't experience the bombing, okay? Do you know which children grew up to be psychologically healthier? Do you know which group of children grew up to... I want you to think about this. A group of children with their parents in a bomb shelter witnessing bombing and destruction. Another group of children who were sent away but they're not with their parents. Who do you think were psychologically better? The ones who were with their parents. That's, that, that should make your tingles in your back. Because we, what do we do? Children got to learn in the schools, in the madrasas, somewhere else. Somebody, it's somebody else's job. Do you know the greatest effect for the iman and psychological well-being of your children is your presence, is your tarbiyah, is your personal, intimate rearing of your children. A father's time is worth more than a father's dime. Your time is more precious. Think about when Abdullah bin Umar was in the gatherings with his father, Umar bin al-Khattab, and they're learning from our Rasul They were together. You hear those narrations? And after the gathering with our Rasul they're walking home together and discussing what the Messenger of Allah was saying. That is a model of why you see Abdullah bin Umar grow up to be one of the greatest faqih for this ummah. We have to stop idealizing this society. We idealize the society, but this society is crumbling from the inside. There was a massive study that was done on a demographic of, you could say, middle-class uh, white people within the United States. So this is, you could say, middle-class suburbanites. So this is usually the model for many people, uh, especially for Muslims, okay? We've got to aspire to be like the people here. This is a huge study that was done. I'm going to just give you two facts from it. One, that 28% of women in this study said they were abused by family members, sexually abused by a family member. Massive study. So almost a third in this society, people that grow up in the zina culture from their own family members get sexually abused. When you go through this whole huge questionnaire, it goes through physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional trauma, all of these different things. It found that only one third, only one third of the respondents did not suffer childhood trauma. Only one-third. You want to copy this society? You want to copy this society and how we raise our children, how they practice? This is a society that celebrates Christmas. But they have no problem when Isa salam is insulted and degraded. They have no problem. You're celebrating. Look how empty that celebration is. Even if you believe that this is when Jesus was born. No problem celebrating Christmas, and they have no problem when Isa is degraded and insulted. This is a society that values 
says we value human rights. But this nation was built on blood-soaked soil. It was built on genocide. 80% of the indigenous population was wiped out. This is a society that says, no, we, we stand up for human rights values. Well, look at what's happening in Afghanistan. But when women and children are being beaten and killed at point-blank range in Philistine, they don't even bat an eye. Don't get deluded by what this society tells you. And follow that, them into this pit of destruction. We have what's better. What is with Allah and His Messenger وسلم, is better. Surah Al-Asr, I'll just leave you with this last point. Surah Al-Asr is the most, one of the most powerful things for a Muslim if it's implemented. It's a motivational surah. It's an anti-depression surah. It's a surah that can make your life the maximum. Mankind is in a state of loss. We're losing every single day. Sitting, doing nothing, you are losing. Playing video games, you are losing. All of this you are losing. Except for those who believe. The core belief. Remember we talked about core belief? How important is this? And do righteous works. Do you know one of the best ways you can get out of depression is just by doing something good. Make a dua. Just move towards righteousness. One step. Don't complicate it in your head. Make sujood and go in sujood and start making dua. One of the things that people describe when they're in depression is paralysis. They can't move. They can't do anything. They just feel tired all the time. They feel that they can't even exercise. Do, just do something. One step towards Allah SWT comes 10 steps towards you. Go to Allah SWT walking. Allah SWT comes to you running. Just make one step. One righteous step. That's how you, we will have success, my dear brothers and sisters. This is how we're going to uplift our family, evaluate your core beliefs, look, make that as the lens. Does this, is this uh, correspond? Is this acceptable by la ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah? Is this acceptable with my core belief? Evaluate it all the time and try to identify those threats that can compromise this la ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. Aqooni qawli hadha wa astaghfirullah li wa laykum min kulli dhanbin fa astaghfiru wa tubu lahi innahu huwa ghafur rahim. Jazam akhir.